You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. The book of Habakkuk today, and we'll be preaching out of this passage. Um, I spoke of the revival. I was reminded of these passages this week up in Sioux Falls as uh, Brother Moore preached a message. Should I turn the pulpit mic off, Michael? Or, okay. Uh, Brother Moore preached a message on uh, Tuesday night out of Habakkuk, and it reminded me of this great book. This is one of my favorite books. Matter of fact, my life verse is found at the very end of this book. This, this, uh, the message of the prophet Habakkuk uh, really made a, a big impact in my life early on uh, in my Christian life and has continued to do so to this day. And I'm glad, aren't you, that, that what God does in your life is of lasting impact. Uh, you know, the, so sometimes we make little decisions and try to do things on our own and it kind of comes and goes. But I think about all the great things that God uh, has done in my life. I mean, when I think about the life-changing message, the, the time that, that this, this message of Habakkuk impacted my life, it actually goes back to the mid-90s. Uh, whenever I first heard a message out of the book of Habakkuk that I feel like changed my life. But it, and as I said, it is still impacting me today. But at the same time, it's not a, um, a message that you get one time and you're like, okay, got that because the Bible, uh, the Bible says that the Word of God is quick. It's, it's living, amen? It's, it's, a, it's a living book. It's the Word of God. And so there's a power that it never gets old. You can read the same thing and continue to learn from it. But Habakkuk uh, today, I feel like this is what Habakkuk is saying. And you tell me today if you can identify with this. The world's gone crazy. Where's God? And what are we supposed to do? That's basically what Habakkuk is addressing here. The world's gone crazy. Where's God? And what are we supposed to do? And I believe if we look in the book of Habakkuk, we can see hopefully these answers, uh, these questions answered today. Habakkuk, I'll just give you a little bit of background here quickly. He was the last of what's called the minor prophets. Now, the, the smaller prophetic books toward the end of the Old Testament are called minor prophets. Uh, but I would, I would uh, dare say it's a, a bit of a misnomer because some people can look at minor and when we think of minor, we think of, of course, the opposite of that is major. And I think of the major leagues versus the minor leagues. Do I, would I rather go to a major league game or a minor league game? Uh, and so, uh, but it's not in that, they're, they're not major and minor in that sense. The only reason some are called major and these are called minor is just simply because they're shorter prophecies. It's only because there's three chapters in the book of Habakkuk, therefore it's considered to be a minor prophet, not because the prophecy is minor as compared to the major prophecies. It was written uh, to the southern kingdom before the Babylonian captivity in 606 B.C. Uh, the thing I want to say about Habakkuk that I can identify with is Habakkuk was a patriot. Habakkuk loved his country. He loved Judah. And as a result of loving his country, he was very troubled because his nation was in spiritual and moral decline. 
the very fiber out of which Israel was made was deteriorating. The foundation on which she stood was rotting and breaking up because of the sin of the nation. And this has the prophet wondering, wondering. Do you ever look around you and wonder? Wonder what's going on? Have you been wondering here lately? <laughs> Again, Lord, where are you at? The world has gone crazy. Habakkuk seems to be one of the only prophets who was more concerned with the holiness of God that be vindicated than that the nation should uh, escape chastisement. Let's begin here in verse number 1, and we'll just read these first few verses. Listen to these verses, and you tell me whether or not these verses are uncanny. The burden, and I just encourage you to mark that word, burden. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? I, cr I even cry unto thee. And what is he crying about? What is he fussing about? What is he complaining and praying about? He says, out of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? Now notice this. Here's what's going on in the nation. For spoiling. We don't use that term very often, often, but that means to plunder. You know what another word for spoil is? It's been in the headlines a lot over the last two weeks. Loot. Spoiling. Spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore, the law is slacked. Now that gets my attention, because I would think if all this stuff is going on, the law isn't slacked, the law is tightened up, the law is enforced. But he's saying, no, the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So this is Habakkuk's complaint. This is his initial uh, thoughts that he has to God. And he's saying, God, what's going on here? Lord, I've been asking you to do something. This is supposed to be your nation. And understand Judah was God's nation in a way that America is not, in that it was supposed to be a theocracy in a sense. But at the same time, I want to say that we live in a country that was founded on the principles of the Judeo-Christian faith, on the Word of God. Uh, it is remarkable. It's uncanny. When you study American history, I love studying early American history and the founding of this country. You study our documents. You study the references made uh, to God and the Bible. And I'm not saying that every one of our founding fathers were blazing Christians by any means, but even the ones that weren't, the, people, the, the founding fathers that people in our society, especially since the, the 1920s and even more so in the 1950s, you, we... We used to be taught about a lot more of the Founding Fathers than what we're taught about today. It's interesting that the Founding Fathers that we learn the most about are those that are called deists. You know, those that weren't Christian, but they believed that there was a God that was important, and, and they try to dismiss uh, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, um, 
sometimes George Washington as deist, uh, and they almost try to per, uh, bring them across as atheists. But I'm telling you, when you go study the writings, if I were to get up here and give a speech uh, by Thomas Jefferson right now, you would think, man, can you ease off on the Bible a little bit? Can you ease off on the God talk? I mean, uh, you, you look at the, you look at what, the, even the speeches that are inscribed in the Jefferson Memorial. All I'm just trying to say is even among those men, they knew the importance. And yes, those men had flaws. But remember, uh, just like Frederick Douglass said, it's important that we separate uh, the flaws of the men versus the document and the country, that which they were trying to find, found on the principles of God's Word, and that is that all men are created equal under God. Um, and so, uh, so, so this country was founded on these principles that we've uh, gotten away from fairly gradually, at, at some point at a gradual but at an accelerated rate during my lifetime. Anyway, there's a burden. There's a burden. He says the burden of the prophet Habakkuk. Do you ever look around at the world with its violence, injustice, sin, and question, why doesn't God do something? Does it ever burden your heart? Does it ever just bother you and grieve you? The, the prophet Habakkuk said, I am grieved. I'm crying out from you from, uh, out of grievance, he says. I behold grievance. He was heartbroken. He was heartsick. He was worried. He couldn't get it off his mind. See, if so, if you've been like that, you can identify with this prophet. This question that he asked here, God, why don't you do something, is asked by the prophet, answered by the Lord. It's faced and it's solved in the book of Habakkuk. Again, his question, why is God silent, number one? That was Habakkuk's issue. God, why are you allowing to go on the things that are going on in the world? And again, I'll give them to you quickly. Uh, uh, spoiling, which is looting. It literally means to plunder, to strip by violence, to rob, um, as to spoil of one's goods or possessions. There's, there's, there's spoiling. There is violence. There is violence, and we know what violence is. Uh, strife. Uh, there is strife. That means the, ex the exertion or contention for superiority. I mean, that's what's going on, he says. And uh, there, there's, a, there's an exertion, there's a contention for superiority. Uh, contention means a violent effort to obtain something. And I'll just say something, that the violence, uh, I, I said it last week, so I want to be very clear. Thank God for our right and ability to protest uh, in our country. Amen. Uh, our police officers, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our law enforcement protect us, uh, and we have the right to protest. And I support protest, don't you? I mean, thank God for that right. But rioting uh, is a, another matter altogether. Violence is another matter altogether. And so uh, this contention, a violent effort to, to say something. And all I want to say here is this, that there is much of this that we see from the violent standpoint, that violence and the strife and the contention. I'm telling you, this, it's a page that's already obviously in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you, it is a page out of the Marxist communist handbook. The strife, the contention. But not only that, he mentions in chapter 2, verse 15, the drunkenness. Chapter 2, verse 15, he talks about the drunkenness. Verse 16, he talks about the immorality. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, he talks about the idolatry. 
in verse 8, back again to verse 18, I'm just kind of highlighting a lot of these other things, but, uh, or, sorry, back to chapter number 1, verse 4, he speaks about the judges. He speaks about the courts that were filled with crooked lawyers, special interests, and crooked politicians. The whole nation was suffering due in part to the evils of those that were in charge. And what's worse is that it seemed as if God would do nothing about it. God seemed to be silent. And he was silent until uh, verse number 5, and God chimes in. And I'm not going to read all through that, but you see that God begins to answer. Uh, and basically what you'll find out is that God answers this, verses 5 through 11. Basically he says this, I will judge Israel. I am going going to intervene. I'm going to intervene, and we're going to see in just a moment. We'll look at chapter 2, if you will. Um, well, we'll get there in just a moment. Basically, he says this. There is a time. There is a time. There is a due time that I'm going to answer. So God says, I will answer. But now, here's the thing. God says, yes, maybe I've been silent, because there's one thing I can tell you about God. While it's true that God does not always answer quickly, he answers eventually. And the wills of God's justice, they may grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. God, it, God will judge sin. God will show up. But see, what he does is he gives man, why, why all the evil in the world? That's one of the great questions, isn't it? What people fail to realize is that the evil of this world is not something that God put into motion. What God put into motion and what God allowed was this. He allowed man to have free will. He allowed man to have free will. He, he allowed man to either choose right or to choose wrong. Now, he said if you choose right, you're going to be blessed. But if you choose wrong, there's going to be judgment. But ultimately, God allows people to make these choices about what they're going to do. But there is a time when, when God will call, uh, he will call these, uh, the, the, the sins of this nation, the sins of God's people, he will call them to account. And so he says, uh, I am going to judge. But here's the interesting thing here, and I'll try to get to you quickly. He said, when God answers, he says, I'm telling you, Habakkuk, because Habakkuk's saying, Lord, judge this nation, help the nation get their hearts turned back toward you, so once again we can be a blessed nation, glorify you, and be a blessing to the nations around us. Do something, God. God says, okay, I'm going to do something. But here's what I'm going to do in chapter 1. He basically says this, I'm sending the Babylonians your way, the Chaldeans. I'm sending them, and they're going to be the, the instruments I use to judge you. Long story short, Habakkuk did not like God's answer. <laughs> you ever like that? Habakkuk, he asked God a question. God gave him an answer, but it was not the answer that he was looking for. He's sending a swift and a cruel nation, all right? All right, so here's the question. So we, we started off by saying the world's gone crazy. That's a statement. Where's God? I'll tell you, folks, God is at work, and, and I'll highlight that more in just a moment. God is at work. And then here's the question I really want to answer now. What are we supposed to do? What is our response to be? What is our reaction to be with all that's going on? Well, notice chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what Habakkuk said. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. 
Number one, we need to watch. We need to watch. In other words, uh, we need to look for an answer from God. We need to watch and turn our eyes toward Him to see what He's doing. Now again, what did I say? It wasn't the answer that He was hoping for. But you know what God said? I'm going to give you something. Notice chapter, verse number 2. We need to watch, but we also need to work. Verse 2, the Bible says of chapter 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. I like that word vision right there. Vision is something bigger than we've seen before. Amen. God wants you to see a vision. And I'm not talking about some, you know, wacky weirdo vision, but I'm talking about a good biblical vision of the providence of God, of the workings of God, about what God's able to do. See, the point about God, as we'll see in a moment, is that God is not caught off surprised by anything that's going on in this world. Never has been. So he can give us a vision. So, so what do we need to do? Number, watch number two, we need to work. Notice what he goes on to say. Write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. <laughs> you, know what you, you know what we need to do by the grace of God? Well, no, no matter what's going on around us in this world, we need to trust our God and we need to work. We need to do that which God has called us to do. See, we, we see everything going on, and it's like, what can I do? What can I do to make a difference? You know what you can do to make a difference? Do what God's called you to do. Do what God's called you to do as the man, the woman, the boy, or the girl. Do what it is, wherever it is that God's placed you in your life, whether it be on the job or whether it be, you know, uh, in, in the neighborhood on the team, it, wherever it's at, to make a difference for Him. See, God's placed you where He's placed you. Do a work for Him, and He will do a work through you. Work, amen. So as, as Oak Point Baptist Church, what do we need to do? Just need to keep working. Amen. We just need to keep on trying to reach souls. We just need to keep trying to edify uh, the, 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 the people of God. That's what we need to do. We need to keep trying to strengthen homes. We need to keep trying to let people, we need to keep showing the love of Christ. I mean, we need to keep holding forth the truth in love. Work, amen. I like what the Bible says about Mary in Matthew 14, verse 8, whenever she anointed the Lord right before his death. Jesus said about her, she hath done what she could. That's a pretty wise thing, isn't it? You know, we, we sometimes get so caught up on what we can't do. We need to be a little bit reasonable sometimes. Think for a moment. Don't get so caught up on, man, boy, I really wish I could do this. I really, well, you can't do what you can't do, but you know what you can do? You can do what you can do. That's profound. <laughs> I mean, listen, she did what she could. Do what you can. Make a difference where you can. Let the love and the light of Christ shine you, shine through you where you are at. She hath done what she could. Do what the Lord has placed you to do. Make a difference. I mean, listen, what did he say? Go. Write the vision and go. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? Go ye into all the world. May God help us as a church to be a going church. Amen? Too many churches turn into just coming churches. Oh, come, come, come. And we need to invite people to come, but we need to go. Amen? We need to go. I mean, so go, he says, work, do something. Now notice this. We see in the work, we see God's provision. Notice what the Bible says in verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But notice these last 
this last phrase, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. This is provision in the work. This verse is repeated two other times in the Bible. The just shall live by his faith. Now, what's God's provision? Faith. So, you know, a lot of times people just say that, but it's said so generically all the time. Oh, you just need to have some faith. But see, faith is only as good as its object. So just having faith, there's got to be the question in what exactly? What's your faith in? Because if you put your faith, anybody ever, anybody ever had an old vehicle you put your faith in? Right? And it not work out too good? See, your faith is only as good as its object. Did you have bad faith? Well, you just had faith, but the only thing wrong with your faith is where you placed your faith. See, people place their faith in their education. People place their faith in their, in their reasoning. But folks, uh, that's not what he's talking about here. What he has provided us, the provision that he's given us is himself. Faith. We can believe in God. Why, why does our faith matter? Because I put it in a powerful, almighty, omniscient God. So he gives us provision. What is it? Faith. So that let's just lets us know that no matter what we're going through in this life, my faith is in God, and I know I can trust in Him. So there's God's provision. Notice also God's promise. He says there in verse number 3, He says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Notice this. What He's saying right there is just simply this. There's a time. Amen? God's got this thing figured out. God's got a plan. Now, again... Is it God's will for people to live in rebellion and harm others and all this other stuff? Absolutely not. But he did know that that's what man would choose. He did know that's what was going to happen as a result of man's choice. He knew when, for instance, God began to be expelled from our education, he knew what the results of that would be. But he never... Um, Intent. He never wanted these to be the results. He knew about it, though. But since he knew about it, we know he's got an appointed time. There is a time when he is going to return. There is a time where we're going to see all this make sense. So we got God's provision. We got God's promise. Oh, and by the way, another thing about God's promise, notice verse 14 of chapter 2. The Bible says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a prophecy of the time when the Lord comes back and sets up His kingdom. <laughs> what's God's promise? There's a time coming that I will answer what's going on right now, but there's also a time coming where I will come and reign on this earth. Amen. Bottom line, as the child of God, the best is yet to come. Amen. Amen. The best is yet to come. What if it gets worse before it gets better? Well, it very well may. But the best is yet to come. Amen? I'm telling you, we've got something to look forward to. We've got God's provision. We've got God's promise. But not only that, in verse 20 of chapter 2, we've got God's providence. Verse 20 says, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. I like this. You know what that tells us? He's in His temple. He is on the throne. He is ruling. He is in charge. He is, uh, again, I've already said what he's allowed, but not in control of as far as that he's just uh, blessing it. 
but the eye of faith will help us to see things in the proper perspective, giving us a courageous hope. Whatever we may face in this life, whatever we may face in the days to come, I'm an optimist, and I still believe in this country. I do. Uh, and I still believe that this country is going to be made right. I still believe there's a possibility for revival in our country. I do. You say, well, there may not be. There may not be. I said a possibility. Don't argue with me, all right? I'm just saying a possibility. I still believe in this country, but let me tell you something. If it doesn't ever, if it just, if it just goes off the rails completely, like some want it to, some are fighting for it to, because uh, then they'll be the, the saviors to come in there and rescue it and, and so forth. But, but if it goes off the rails completely, you know, you want to know something today? What am I going to keep doing? I can keep on working, amen, as much as possible. You say, what, what if there's persecution? What if there's these other things that arise? You know what? I'll do what I can by the grace of God. And that's what, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to do what we can, amen? So I have confidence, but I'm telling you, regardless of that, I know one thing. I, you say, preacher, if you're counting on this country... To, uh, uh, to be uh, made right. If you're counting for this country just to, to be back to some glory days, if you're counting on revival, Pastor, let me tell you something that's going to happen. You're going to be disappointed. But I'm not going to be disappointed because my faith's in God. And so no matter what, I know one thing. I may be surprised about what happens, but I, my faith is in one who will not be surprised by what happens. Amen. And I'm telling you, my faith is in Him. And with my faith in God and knowing His mighty strong hand, and, and even throughout all of this, God will bring about something for the good of people, something for the glory of people. So we got God's uh, pro provision, God's promise. We can work with God's provision, His promise, His providence. But it's interesting when you go through here, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? The world's going crazy. Where's God? Well, now we know he's at work. What am I supposed to do? Work? But I'll tell you something else that Habakkuk was doing. He was working, but he was also wishing. Notice chapter 3, verse number 1. He says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know what he's doing? He's doing what I just already said. He's praying for revival. He's praying for things to turn around. He's praying to see people's hearts turn back toward God. He's, he, he, he's, he's looking for a time to where the strife is no longer. The contention is no longer predominant. He's looking for a time when the violence has subsided. He's looking for a time of peace and a time of unity and a time of a nation that is loving God and that people, people are being blessed. See, bottom line is, under, always understand this, God just wants to bless you. We talk about the God of judgment, and He is that. But He said in wrath, remember mercy. You know the only reason God's ever really judged anybody he judges sin? But I'm telling you, when it comes, God judges sin. God hates sin. God hates rebellion. But let me tell you this, how God feels about every single human being. He loves them with an everlasting love. He loves, he loves the worst person you've ever known as much as the best person you've ever known. He loves the worst person you've ever known as much as he loved your grandma. Amen. 
He does. He loves them. And the, and the reason he would judge sin and rebellion in their life is to try to get them to turn from that sin and rebellion to, because that's death. That's misery. But he wants people to have joy, peace, and love. That's, what, that's why God does it. He's trying to get... He's all, his motive is always for your good. Always for your good. And always for his glory. You may not think that way, much like a child doesn't always think that the correction of a parent is for their good, but the older we get, the more we can appreciate it. Amen? I mean, listen, I can remember, I used to, I've, I've said this before, but I can remember when I was a kid, my parents actually let me get away with some things more than some other kids, but I had other friends, I can remember being in like 7th, 8th grade, and I can remember having friends that partied with their parents. And if you went over to their house, you could party with them and their parents. And I remember as a middle schooler thinking, man, they got cool parents. I wish my parents were cool like that. But man, it did not take me long to realize that their parents weren't very cool. Their parents were selfish. Their parents really didn't care too much about that kid. They just cared about themselves. And they cared about the time they... And so, and I saw, and I began to see the, 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 the lacking that these kids had in their life, even as an unsaved person. And I began to appreciate, and the older I got, the more I appreciated the restrictions and, and, and the things that my parents had on me. I did. Um, but anyway, uh, and sometimes wish they would have had a few more. But regardless of that, what is he wishing for? He's wishing for revival. But regardless of that, what did he do? Regardless of that, whether revival ever comes or not, because Habakkuk did not see revival. He did not see it. But you know what he kept doing? He kept standing. Amen? We need to keep on standing, Ron. We need to keep on standing for what's right, standing for what's true. We are so... What, what, the world right now is trying to get you on one side or the other of the fight, aren't they? They're trying to get you to go to one extreme or the other. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to an extreme, amen? I'm standing with God. I'm careful about, you know, uh, you know taking up either side's argument because I see flaws on uh, the extremes, I mean, especially of both sides. I believe there's some room there in the middle to where we can communicate and cooperate. But I'm telling you, it's a, people are trying to do this for or against thing. You know, I mean, it's just absolute ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's as if, I mean, because I want to say very clearly, you're looking at a man that I don't care, red, yellow, black, and white, you're looking at a man that loves people. You know why? Because God loves people. You know why? Because there is one race on this earth. One race. It's the human race. It's the human race. See, the world tries to have it both ways. See, you, you, want to know where, you want to know where a lot of the racism in this country really came from? Uh, and going back not only our country, but in Europe as well. It came from the idea of uh, macroevolution. And I emphasize macroevolution. Microevolution is scientific. Macroevolution is not scientific. Micro meaning small changes within a species. Macro meaning, you know, stuff changing from one species to another. Including from a rock to a monkey to a professor. I mean, it's not scientific. But... The, the, the point that I'm trying to make is this. What, what, what's evolution teach? You know what they begin to teach? Some races are more involved, evolved than other races are. The Bible, one race. Darwinian philosophy, many races. 
I've, I've told some of you about this before, but this is illustrated in a certain way. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that Native Americans were savages. Soulless savages. They're not soulless savages, but that's one of the reasons people believe that. They're not evolved to the level of us Europeans yet. That's why they had those ideas. Now, by the way, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that did not believe that and believed that they were people and tried to, they did not believe they were soulless savages. They believed they were precious souls that needed Christ, amen, and showed the love and so forth. But uh, but, but, so, so, uh, that, that's one of the things about, it. and th these different races are different, different, that's why it's, that's why it's been so accepted. Um, and, uh, pushed by the, the Democratic Party for, uh, years, by the way, but, but regardless of that, you look this up, it's a sad thing to look at, but if you don't believe me, um, some explorers came across a tribe of pygmy Africans. Uh, it's amazing, these, these people, they're, they're, they call them pygmies, but they're just, the, all these people are just so short. There was a man by the name of Ada Binga, I believe was his name. You can look it up. You want to know the, the results of evolution and racism? You know what they thought they found? They thought they found a man that was somewhere in the lines of the missing link. So guess what you could see if you went into the Bronx Zoo around the turn of the 20th century? You could go to the cage. You're going to think I'm lying right now, but look it up. And you could see a man by the name of Adabinga, a monkey man, half man, half monkey. Where does that come from? It comes from racism. It comes from evolution. The point that I'm trying to make is this. That's not God. Amen? That's, that's not the principles that we live by. That's not the principles that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was founded on. And so, uh, I'm just simply trying to say, where in the world did I go with that? I'm, I'm talking about standing. People are trying to get you to say, you know, uh, just these wide sweeping statements. If I support the police, we had a, we had a prayer rally uh, a week ago. Support the police. Oh, you must be racist. What? What? I support the police? Yeah, because they're out here dragging everybody out and killing them and indiscriminately because of their color, the color of their skin and everything. I'm like, really? Is that what the percentages show? Is that what the facts show? I mean, yes, there are a percentage, but there's a percentage of a bunch of people doing bad things. We don't condemn the whole lot of them. I mean, and by the way, there's a lot of people on the other side that understand that. All right? But then, if I'm to say, for instance, so for me to say I'm totally against, uh, you know, beating, abusing a person, hurting a person because of the color of their skin or something like that, that doesn't make me, oh my gosh, so you're on this other side. No. Why, why can't I just, why, why do we have to be this extreme? So when we stand, we need to stand with God and the Bible. Don't be, don't be roped in. I mean, I'm not going to let somebody tell me a racist, I'm a racist because of what I just said. Because I'm not. I'm not going to let somebody else determine that for me. You understand what I'm saying? When I say that I support the police, that I support whites and blacks, and when I say that all lives matter, oh, racist, you're a racist now when you say that. That's malarkey. Man, I'm not trying to get political here, but I sure am, man. I'm not trying to. But I'm saying we need to stand. But what do we need to stand with? We need to stand for what's right. We need to stand for truth. We need to stand for love. We need to show the love of Christ. We need to show civility. We need to show sympathy and compassion. We need to stand. Uh, we need to sow. 
Uh, we also need to shout. Notice this last What are we going to do? We're going to we're going uh, to watch. We're going to work. We're going to be wishing for revival. But in the meantime, we're going to worship. If there's anybody still here with me, Amen. Did not mean to go down that path, but I'm just sick of it, man. I I love people, Amen. I really do. I care about people, and um, and I'm I'm 100% against injustice. Okay, I'm getting back from that. Um, worship. You say, what do you mean worship? So basically in Habakkuk 3, Habakkuk chapter number 1, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to finish with this, so just hang with me. Habakkuk begins with Habakkuk sorrowing, grieving, one, I mean just broken hearted, burdened down. But he's, chapter 1 starts with sorrow, chapter 3 ends with shouting. You say, wow, did God send a revival? Did God make everything okay? No, he did not. But you know what Habakkuk did? He was watching. He was working. He was wishing. But he worshiped. And basically in this song, he says, okay, and God answers and says, yes, I'm bringing judgment. And he acknowledges the judgment that God's bringing on the nation of Judah. And notice what it says here in verse number, eight, uh, verse number 17. Although... The fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive tree shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. That sounds pretty bad to me. But he says, well, even, even if that's the case, notice what he says here, yet I will... Rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. We looked at this on Wednesday night, but the Bible says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. See, he says, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. See, we can't always rejoice in our circumstances. We can't always re rejoice in our health. We can't always rejoice in our country or in our homes, as it were. But you know what we can rejoice in or who we can rejoice in? We can rejoice in the Lord. Amen. You know why? Because my circumstances aren't always good, but my God is always good. Amen. Amen. Hey, the situation's not always good. I can't rejoice in it, but I can rejoice in Him. Amen. Man, maybe I began to rejoice in some circumstance I was experiencing, but then it changed. Let me tell you something about God. The Bible says He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I like what the, the, this sentiment is shared in Psalm 46, verse 1. Uh, the Bible says, God is our refuge and strength. Rejoicing in the Lord, you go into a refuge to escape that what's going on in the world. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble, which means He's here right when you need Him. Therefore will not we fear... Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, he said, we will not fear. Though the waters thereof swell or roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. What's he saying there? He's saying, man, if the whole world falls apart, I'm not rejoicing in the world, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. My shelter is in him. 
So what are you going to do in the midst of all this stuff? Number one, don't fear. Don't worry. Don't, let your, don't, don't, give, don't be given to that. But work for the Lord. Do what you can to show the love of Christ, to demonstrate truth, to demonstrate love. I mean, listen, uh, we, we work for Him, witness for Him, be a light for Him. But also, He says, we need to worship. Now, most of us feel like worshiping when everything is good, when we feel good. But that's not what's being done here. He says, even though everything else is falling apart, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And I really like this and appreciate it. This is my life verse, by the way. You know, you know what he is literally saying right there? I encourage you to look these words up. The word he uses right there for rejoice means literally jump for joy. Amen. Now remember, the world is still going crazy. But he's not rejoicing in the world. He's rejoicing in the Lord. So he jumps. He leaps for joy. Amen. Amen. Not because he feels like it necessarily, but because the Lord is good. I'm going to leap for joy, he says. You ever been so happy you wanted to jump? I've had people before saying, uh, with the message, not this message, uh, but I've heard, had people, I've been preaching a message before, and I've heard people at the end of the service, they've said, Preacher, I got so excited, I just wanted to jump up and shout amen. <laughs> and I say, why didn't you amen? Just, why not? Amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, I've told you about this before. I love sports. I really do. I like sports a lot, man. I really get into them. I'm passionate about my teams. I get excited about my team. Uh, and I don't think a thing about when others get excited. I like going to a game. It was one of the coolest experiences. We went to uh, the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, first time they ever came to Kansas City. We got to go there for their first ever series at Kauffman Stadium. It was the coolest thing ever, man, because the Braves fans totally took over that stadium. I say totally, but literally, you would not believe the Braves fans that came to Kauffman Stadium. And so I've been to, to games in Atlanta, and the fans were actually better in Kansas City for the Braves than they were in Atlanta. Atlanta's kind of known for that. But it was so fun cheering with other people. I mean, jumping up, you know, when, when, we, when we hit a home run or got a double play or, or whatever the case may have been. We, it was exciting. I was rejoicing in the Atlanta Braves. I wish I could be rejoicing in them this year, uh, but I can't. I rejoice in the Tar Heels. I really do. And that's fun. And nobody thinks too much about it. Right? You get excited about your team. Why is it that we can't get excited about Jesus? Why is it that we can't together just say, Woo! You know, I mean, and just praise the Lord. That's our cheer. Amen. Why not? What's wrong with just saying hallelujah, bless his name? I'm such a fan of the Braves, I don't care if you like it or not. Amen? Amen. People look at you funny. you got to get so excited. I can remember years ago, I, I remember, man, I was going to a basketball game years ago. Me and my friend, it was like the first time I ever got to go to a big basketball game. We had nosebleed seats. I, you could barely make out who the players were on the court. But it was our first ever game. And, man, you talk about being excited. We, I mean, we, we, we were living and dying on every dribble, man. We were hollering and we were jumping up. And there was a dude sitting behind us. It's like, hey, can y'all sit down? We all quit doing that. And I'm like, stop it. No, man. What are you doing? We're excited. We're seeing our team play. 
<laughs> and, 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 and that's how it feels sometimes. You know, people are like, oh, don't be so excited. Can you sit down? Can you? But man, we have somebody to be excited about. I can't always rejoice in the Tar Heels. I can't always rejoice in the Braves. But I can always rejoice in the Lord. And I should. I don't have to go around here with my front, my bottom lip dragging like the, like the front end of a, of, of a front end loader. You know I mean? Just dragging along, uh, plowing the ground as I go. I don't have to go around sour. I don't have to go around. I mean, some people, I swear, I think they take a, a shot of vinegar before they come into the presence of anybody. Just for good measure. Why can't we be joyful? Why can't we just be happy in the Lord? Oh, well, things are so bad. But God's good. Amen. Why are you so happy? Things must be going good. No, but God's good. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And he's always good. All right. So he says, I'm going to jump for joy. You know what else he says? I'm going to joy in the Lord. I'm going to rejoice. Here's what Habakkuk said, and I'm just telling you what he said. He says, yes, Sharon, I'll, re I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to jump for joy. Amen. Don't make fun of my vertical, Tyron. <laughs> my vertical. He's sitting back here thinking, did you even jump? That dude can jump like this high. Uh, but, uh, but listen, not only did he say, I'm going to jump for joy, but he said, I'm going to joy. You know what that word literally means? I'm going to spin around. What would you think if you saw Habakkuk? Violence in the streets. People are looting. The, the judges are corrupt. The world's going crazy. And there's old Habakkuk. Habakkuk, what are you going to do? He says, excuse me just for a moment. Woo-hoo! And he jumps and just spins around. Amen. That dude's nuts. Amen. But I, I, I dare say that the rest of the world is nuts. Amen. And I'm telling you, if you're saved, you're the one's crazy. You've got the God of heaven... The God who flung the stars out into space, the God that spoke all into existence, the God that measured the heavens with a span, you're in that God's hands? You're that God's child? Amen. Wait a second. That God lives on the inside of you? Amen. That God has your to you, your eternal destiny all wrapped up and sealed? That God loved you enough to come and shed his blood on the cross to die for you, to rise up again the third day? Amen. I say you're the crazy one, amen, uh, for sitting around looking like a calf, looking at a new gate, amen. We ought to be excited. We can be happy people. We can be joyful people. We've got a good God. Amen. Amen. So we need to, you say, what do we need to do? Man, just keep on working. Just keep on worshiping. Lastly, just keep on walking. Verse 19, the Lord is my strength. I don't have the strength to do this, but the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet, like a deer's feet. In other words, he's going to give me stability. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. I like that. He's going to, but my, my, one thing it says is he's going to make me. You know what that means? That guarantees success because he's the one giving me the strength to do the walking. He can help my walk, brother, to be stable. He can help my walk to be successful because he's going to make me walk. And he can make me walk on the high places. Amen. I guess that's kind of what I was trying to say as Sharon, or I'm sorry, as, I don't think Sharon's going to come play. You can, but I think I'll get Sonia to come play on the piano. But uh, well, he'll make me walk on high places. Now, you may think I got uh, in the, on, down uh, low a little bit ago, but I ain't trying to get down low. Man. I'm trying to keep on the high ground, amen? And I'm trying to stay on high places. I'm, I'm trying to walk on higher ground. I mean, listen, I mean, God's been good to me, hasn't he, you?